Hey, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. I am here off of Mulholland Drive in the cozy hideaway of my guest today, director Jim Fall. You live in this this amazing, like, like this is a kind of an apartment would be in a movie or something where somebody would, it would be in a romantic comedy and maybe the, the, the rumpled writer would live here. I love it. I have to say I love it. I, I've been here five years. I'm renting from a friend, actually, and it's a... Um, it's a little. It's a hideaway that has its pluses and minuses, though. Because what are the pluses? The pluses is it's quiet. Right. It's very quiet. It's really convenient. I can get down to the valley, get down to West Hollywood, get down to Los Feliz in you know fifteen minutes. The downside is it's really a bachelor pad, and it's been kind of like easy for me to be. I don't know. You know. Um, how shall I say? I've 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 had a lot of gentlemen callers more than I probably. Should I gotta cut back? Really? Why? I bet they walk in there and they're like, "This is sweet." Well, it's what is this? This is, the is where you want to have a afternooner, uh, yeah, or a morninger, or whatever. Well, that's why it, would you cut back? Well, because it, it, you're uh, not getting stuff done. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of work to manage. It is a lot of work to manage. It, right. it can take up your time. It can be too. It's the easy. It's too easy to go. Ah, let's just dial up a friend. Yeah. And there we go. No, but plus they've got to park. I had, I think I parked okay. I did okay. Did you block anyone's driveway? No, I didn't block anyone's driveway. People, this is one of those skinny streets where you can only park on one side. And yeah. Everyone's really crazy about their parking. Because... Where they literally have Xerox notes. Yeah. Threatening notes that they printed up like 50 and they just well, put them on different cars every day. Totally. My entrance, is, my entrance is on the side of the house and people don't realize that's my front door technically. And yeah. people park in front of my front door all the time and I can't get in. So I park in front of my front door when I can, but it's right. It's tough. it's a thing. It's tough in the hills, Dennis. It's, it's tough, not it's easy tough. in the hills. Do you have coyotes or anything like that? No, I've seen coyotes. I've seen deer and coyotes. Right. Um, but I, I saw Jack Nicholson's house burning across the way a year or so ago. Did it burn to the ground? Well, it burned. It was like on fire. And then we turned on. My friend Bill was here at the time. We turned on the TV, and there was like it was on TV. I could actually see the fire out my window and see it on TV. And it was we learned it was Jack Nicholson's house. Wow. On TV. I didn't know. You didn't know because you you hadn't been there for dinner the night before. No, no. Um, no. Now this is a very fun occasion because. Recently at the Village, you hosted a 15th anniversary screening of your movie Trick. Yes. Which is super delightful. Thank you. And I Thank went you to for that. coming. You I there. loved it. And I hadn't seen it since, I'd seen it multiple times, but I hadn't seen it since around the time it came out. Yeah. It's so good. It's Thank a little you. gem. Thank you. Well, and you know. it's like a perfect movie. Well, that's sweet of you to say. I mean, you, you know, it's funny. It's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's really and I'm honored that people still remember it and still right. like it. And, you know, you don't, you make a movie, you don't know. I mean, it's not, you, you, no one sets out to make a bad movie. I mean, of course right. I thought it was going to be good, but I didn't know people, you know, there's a lot of good movies that, that, that get forgotten that don't, you know, have 15 year anniversaries, I guess. Right. Um, so it's just sweet that it's still remembered well and people, st and, and to be honest, I hadn't sat through it in a really, really long time. And, um, I was pleasantly surprised that it held up. I was a little afraid to see it again. I thought, oh, God, is there going to be stuff? Because, you know, when you make a movie, you see all the mistakes you made and all the things right. you wish you had done better and all the takes you knew got screwed up because they were out of focus or whatever the hell happened. Right. But I could watch the movie objectively, the most objectively I've ever been able to watch it, and it was like, oh, okay, you know, that is that is sweet. It's right. sweet. It's, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's I've never seen the movie objectively, and it was fun to see it 
almost completely objectively because I'd forgotten. I, I'm blessed with forgetting. <laughs> right. You know. Oh, right. I did direct that. Oh, that's right. Oh my God. I was there. I, I remember. Yeah. I seem to remember that 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 bedroom or that bathroom. <laughs> now, there's something very. It's uh, was came out in '99, but it was it was there was a '90s sweetness and and optimism about it. It was pre 9/11. Yeah. It was before things got tougher. Yeah. And. Um, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about the death of the romantic comedy, and yeah. that it, they, they, don't, they don't make them any. They're, they're not. If they do make them, they're not that good, and if they, they're not, it's sort of a dying thing. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I have. I think it has to do with just we're so cynical now, and there's a smugness to humor that I, it's it's hard to make a romantic comedy. Nowadays, it really is. I mean, I think there's a new wave of them that's going to have to happen. I think it has to do with, you know, the 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 youth culture. It's not like a granddad saying, you know, the kids today. Right. But they, I don't know, they fall in love differently now with, you know, with, <laughs> they fall in love over apps. And, no, they do. And, and they fall, and, or well, date or okay, cupids and things exactly, like that. Exactly. It's a completely and different so landscape. So that old meet cute Doesn't ha- formula it, is something that people don't relate right, to. Right. You meet cute by... Texting yeah. <laughs> or, or Facebook or Instagram or whatever the hell. Right, yeah, and I don't, exactly. You know, that's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And until somebody figures out how to sort of tap right. into that, I don't think it'll right. uh, capture people's imaginations. Yeah. But also, <clears throat> this uh, report was talking about how when, when the economy's doing better, people are more like, what's missing in my life? I need to fall in love or whatever. That's true. And when it's not, you know, and I was talking about that with a friend and they're like, well, today we need superheroes because everyone feels overwhelmed. And so that's maybe... Part of why I think that's I think that's very true. Yeah. Although you know some of the best romantic comedies were made during the depression, those beautiful <clears throat> you know rom coms from back then. But but I, I kind of feel the same. I think that's actually very true. It's very true. It's hard to be you know uh, it's hard to have that free time and that disposable income to spend on dates when you're too busy scrambling to make a living. Right. Um, exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't relate to that. <laughs> what about uh, the World Trade Center was in your movie? I know. And wasn't it, you were invited to be part of some something yeah, that dealt yeah. with that? Well, I mean, to, to set that up, I, 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 been to, I went to New York City the first time in 1976, the year King Kong, the Jessica Lange version came out. And I, right. I made this little movie that's on YouTube, actually. It's a home movie. Okay. Where I just filmed the World Trade Centers from like a like hundred different angles almost. Because I was obsessed. Because to me, it was like a movie set. It was a movie set where I had just seen King Kong. And it was like, oh my God, that's the Trade Center. And it was before they Was put... the King Kong on the Trade Center? Or... Yeah. Oh, that I thought was I was big... like... No, that, that was, was the that was how they freshened it up. That's how they freshened it up. It Did was he? Like, he didn't leap from one to the other or anything. No, but the, he the, didn't throw her from one to the no, other. No, but the, the ad campaign had Kong straddling the top of both of the trade centers, which was wow. impossible. I like, saw somebody do that once at a yeah. club. But it's a beautiful art. Art. art the, the artwork is great, but it's a little uh, takes some liberties. But but anyway, so I was obsessed with the trade center. So when I finally, how many years later, made my movie, I ended up shooting. The trade centers in four or five times as the you know for the skyline of New York City because sure. you know because it's iconic. It just it is. It just is what it is. And then, you know, two years later when nine eleven happened, um, MoMA, you know, Museum of Modern Art in L- in New York had a <clears throat> had a screening of movies that celebrated New York, sort of as a healing thing, I guess you know. And, right. And they included Trick. It was like just it was amazing actually because they played Woody Allen's, you know, Manhattan. They played The Apartment. They played. Um, a lot of wonderful um, romantic comedies that that showed New York in a really positive light, and it wasn't until then I really realized, oh my God, there's like five shots of the trade centers in my in my movie. So it was anyway, it was an honor 
to have that movie played in. What was your movie like that you made as a kid? Was it was it narrative or was it just cool shots of the trade center? It's just cool shots of the trade center. Going, it's 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 basically our trip to the to the Statue of Liberty and back. So you had all these views of the right. New York skyline, and then I I recently put because um, on that very same trip I bought the soundtrack to the Omen. Which was nineteen, <laughs> which in Times Square. Holy shit, <laughs> man! You're you're like psychic or something. Okay, but that was nineteen seventy six. Also, All so, right. So I decided to, for for this YouTube video, I decided to put music against my home movie, and, and there's a beautiful theme in the Omen called the New Ambassador. It's sort of the love theme. Okay. Um. So I laid that against the movie, and it works perfectly. It's like this beautiful thing, and I've gotten, I think I've, I've gotten almost eighteen thousand hits. Or is it ten thousand? I think it's ten thousand hits on this my little home movie. What do we search on YouTube? Just search World Trade Center nineteen seventy six. Wow! And it'll it'll pop up. Where were you on nine eleven? I was in West Hollywood, and sitting in my bedroom all day. I mean, watching TV. I mean, basically, I didn't I didn't even get up, you know, because it was New York time, and I was it was a what day? It was a weekend. I think it was a weekend. No, it was a weekday. Was it? Uh huh. Well, I remember my neighbor knocking on my door. Right. And he said, turn your TV on, turn your TV on. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I turned the TV on, the one trade center had already fallen, oh. which was just the most surreal thing to turn the TV and see that, not knowing what the hell's going on and see one building is gone. You know, so I, I didn't even get the whole first, whatever, right. hour of, of, of tragedy. But um, yeah, then I sat there you all day. You were here. Stare, yeah, I was here. It was a little weird to be here after having been in New York for so long. And then have that tragic, part of me felt guilty, like, oh my God, I wasn't there to, to I don't know what, you right. know, but to, to, you know, be there. Right. You know. Uh, so when you did the 15th anniversary screening recently, you showed some uh, behind the scenes footage, thing, things that got cut. Um, what's some of the, like, and you never got to do a director's commentary. Right. That's so, why we did it. Cause yeah. Did. What, were, what were some of the stories that you were like, oh, I really would, I think fans would like this story. Well, you know, it was it was interesting because I, I when I was preparing to do this live director's commentary and and like you said I I, I did it because I've never I've made six movies I've never f for one reason or another I've just never done a director's commentary it just right. hasn't been a reason to do them or they just didn't care right <laughs> um, and Trick came out at a time when in 1999 DVDs had just started becoming like the thing they right. that was the Christmas that when my DVD came out that was the Christmas that they pushed past VHS. Right. And all the video stores were like, saw the writing on the wall and right. everything started shifting. Anyway, so they were still putting out cheap DVDs without director's commentaries. I remember begging New Line, you know, please let me do a director's commentary. And they said, no. So I'm like, whatever. All right. Um, and now I'm totally forgetting your question. Well, what, my, my what question was, stories? what were some of the stories? But I also want to go back a little bit. And if you haven't seen the movie, just to set it up a little bit, it's about um, a young, aspiring musical theater writer in New York who um, meets a really sexy go-go boy on a train, and they're going to try to hook up, and a million things get in their way, and it ends up being this sort of um, odyssey throughout the evening, and throughout it, they develop feelings for each other, and Tori Spelling is in it as... Um, one of the obstacles. One of the <laughs> obstacles. <laughs> I remember thinking she was really good in the movie, and then seeing it the other night, I was like, she's fantastic in the movie. She's really good, you know, and, and it... She's so good in it. And people always, like, you know, say to me, how did you get that performance out of Tori Spelling? It's like, I didn't, I didn't sit there, like, for hours before and coach her on every moment. She... She, it was just the perfect role for her at the perfect time, and she got what was funny about it. Right. You know, and and um, was just so game to, 
you know, she was she wanted to do more comedy, and although this really her role has comedy and really drama in it too, because she it's kind of heartfelt at the end. Um, she just owned it and was great. You know, um, were there anybody going? Were there any people saying, "You really, Tori Spelling? You're gonna because at the time well, she had that nine hundred two one zero Daddy's sure. Girl thing." Sure, I mean, there were a lot of people who were who were, including my casting director, who really gave me crap about casting her. And I came out here to L.A. and Tori auditioned and got the part fair and square. I didn't. Right. I didn't hand her the part. No, her father did not give us money for the movie. Right, we had the money already. She got the part like any other actor. And I remember, excuse me, calling my casting director excited, saying, my God, Tori just auditioned. You know, she did the diner scene, which is that whole monologue. And she basically just did it verbatim the way she does it in the movie. She was hilarious. And I remember my casting director not, like, being excited and saying, I don't want to, I'm not going to cast a movie that Tori Spelling's in. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, are you listening to me? She's great. So there was a lot of, uh, unfortunately, negative... um, stuff around her I was blissfully ignorant because I did not I had never seen 90210 right not one, I knew who she was she won the part in the room I'm like she's perfect that bums me out about your casting director because I feel like their job is to I know. discover whether I know. it's somebody we know and have an image about I know or to see something else you know sometimes know. when a great casting director can take somebody with one persona and and like fit them somewhere else and yeah. and that's part of it that's a bummer, anyway. It is a bummer. I mean, you know, granted, maybe she had just never had seen Tori do... I mean, she, Tori had already done The House of Yes, which yes. she was good in also. Right, I remember so that. Maybe she hadn't seen she that. She was on a roll. Yeah, she, she was. was on a roll. And then you had J.P. Pittock and right. Christian Campbell, who right. were adorable. Right. Um, and young. Young and young and pretty. They're both... They're still pretty. They're, they're just a little older, like we all are, but... Yeah, the story with J.P. was he... Um, you know, he... I, I, again... I keep ragging on my casting director, but she she couldn't find me a go-go boy who could act. And you right. know, go-go boys look a, look a certain way. They're just right. have, amaz- have amazing bodies, and it's hard to find someone that beautiful who can act. Uh, but literally, after seeing a bunch of really good actors who just didn't have bodies that were even remotely close to being go-go boys, um, I went out. I, I found you know I think it was Next Magazine or or whatever it was or HX or whatever, and there was a picture of JP in his underwear. In some crappy play, and he he admits to it, it being crappy, and so I just sort of thought, well, it looks like a bunch of cute guys in this play. I'm going to go see it. So we went to right. go see it that night, and um, he was in his underwear. He was great, and I then I had to chase him down for another four weeks to get him to read the script because right. he had just done a gay play that was bad, and he was afraid this would be another, you know, right. the gays are just trying to exploit his abs, is right. what he thought. Which right. is a little Which true. Is, of course it is. <laughs> of course it, was, it is. But it was because he was good and yeah. he had abs. It was yeah. like a two, like, you know, it's like, wow, you're crazy hot and you can act. Now, at the uh, screening, you showed like um, several minutes of his go-go dancing that got cut several out. Several minutes. It was like 10 minutes. It was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> and I wanted to ask at the at the evening, but I always have to limit my questions. And when it's a group situation, I, I tend to, one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is so I'm not a nightmare at panels. Because I kind I would, of... I'm glad you asked questions. Well, I always ask the best ones. Ask Let's pay, I ask good ones. You I'm do. Like, I want to yell at people. I've got it, people. I can handle this. You I know. Do. I'm not even I should have had you it. moderate. You should have come up. You should have... No, you come, killed it. It was you great. You should have came up and moderated. But anyways, did, did he work on his dancing? Did he consult with other dance, go-go dancers? He said he did. I didn't... Take, oh, you didn't, you didn't? I didn't take yeah. him by the hand. Because, right. you know, to be honest, go-go dancers are not supposed to be that good. Right. They're not dancers. They right. just get up and move. And sometimes it's charming when they're not 
great. Right. So I didn't want him to like, I didn't want to choreograph it. I actually right. at first thought maybe I'd have my friend Robin who choreographed Tori's dance to, you know, quote unquote, to- choreograph JP's right. dance. But then I thought, no, 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 no. Just, I'm going to just let him, I said, he's, he was willing to go out and just do his homework. Right. And, and that would have been actually fun to watch JP <laughs> watching yeah. Go-Go Boys. Um, and then, you know, he just went for it. He went for it. And well, it did, it did have that feeling of like, yeah, yeah. he's not like authentic. It, yeah. It's got to be a little loose. Yeah. A little sexy and not right. particularly specific, just hot. Right. Know? And so getting back to that question I asked you before, what were some of the stories you were excited to share with people? Well, or did yeah, they occur to you while you were watching it? You know, it, the, the, the biggest story has always been just this sort of Tory Coco Peru um, thing where people thought that Tory, that I consciously cast Coco to look like Tory or vice right. versa. And uh, it just never, it just wasn't. I wish I had, I wish I had thought of it. I would have explo- exploited it more, you know, I think it would be, would have been funny. But it just happened that in the, in the structure of the movie, Tori's character disappears for a while, then Coco appears and even if you look at the cut of the movie, Coco, when Coco appears on the dance floor, the, the, there's a there's a buzz in the focus. The focus is a little blurry at that moment on right. her close up, so you're not exactly sure for a millisecond who it is. And then it's like, and that's where this crazy rumor started. And the very first question at Sundance was, was the drag queen supposed to look like Tori Spelling? And then everyone's standing right there. We're all right there, and, and, <laughs> oh, and, shit. and it was like what. And everyone was How like, did you handle it? I said, I, I think it took me, it took, that's the first, it really, because that was our first screening. Sundance was the first time we screened right. it in front of a real audience. And uh, um, I just said, no, no. I, I mean, I said, listen, Coco Peru has had that trademark red wig for years. And Tori, you know, I don't think I said this because Tori was there, but Tori had different color hair when I met her. Uh, I think it was blonde, and then she she darkened it, and then that's when it's. I didn't. Then I didn't think it looked like Clint. So, Clinton Lupus is is Miss Coco's real name. Yeah. Anyway, so there's so, that. So you were a little surprised about all of that. Yeah. How did Tori roll with that? You know, I wasn't sure. Tori Tori at first, you know, had a lot of people around her, protecting her. So it wasn't like Tori and I became fast friends right after the movie because I think to protect her. They weren't even sure whether the movie was going to be good or not, you know. So they, I think they distanced themselves a little bit until they realized, oh, the movie's going to be good. Right. So uh, Tori now thinks it's funny. But, yeah. But at the time, I don't know. wasn't I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. I, I was afraid they thought I had tried to pull something over on them. Yeah. And it's like, kind of stunt. I didn't. I yeah. Didn't. Um, what was the most random thing that came out of Trek for you? Has it, like, would you get letters from random places or? Did you get invited to go to do this, or did you oh. meet somebody from it, or something? Yeah, a random, a couple cool things. I mean, I got to meet David Geffen. Wow! In his mansion. I'm <laughs> so scared. I'm, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Oh my god! Okay, break it down. It was what just, happened? Did he beckon you? You were beckoned I by Mr. Beckoned. Geffen. I was beckoned. It was just you know, David Geffen wanted to meet me, so my agent, my agent went with me, and we went to his mansion. And it was actually, you know what, it was relatively uneventful. I mean, we sat and we talked. I asked him a lot about Cher. Of course. Because <laughs> I'm a big Cher fan, and her album Cher Stars, which is not on CD and you can't uh, download it. It's what well, she, she did three albums for Warner Brothers, and Geffen at the time was, you know, right. quote-unquote dating her. Right. And um, 
he was funny. He was sort of saying, oh, you know, back then, you know, I thought Cher, you know, sang as well as Barbara Streisand and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still there. I'm still, I haven't changed my mind. No. So um, he, he he had seen the movie somewhere else and, and invited you to meet Yeah, it. I guess so. And it just was sort of a, you know, casual conversation, you know. I, I, nothing came of it. Right. You know, I guess he just wanted to meet me, for which I guess was nice. I don't know. See, you and I have something in common, which is we had big things happen in our careers in the late 90s, and a few random little doors opened, and I and you don't know if you're making the most of them. I you know. don't know how to be, and you look back and go, should I have... What, well, have, what I would know. I have done differently? I don't know. I, I, I wonder sometimes... my novel came out in 98, yep. and, and your movie came out in 99, and at that time... There was a lot of possibilities. There so, was more so than now, and for gay stuff, for yeah. gay stuff. Yeah, and I remember my book coming out, and I got the one of the creators of Frasier, David Lee, very nice, reached out to me, and he said he loved my book, and he wanted to meet with me, and he basically said if I wrote a, a spec script for a sitcom, he would take it into his partners, and perhaps right. there would be an, an opportunity to write an episode of Frasier or something like, or something like that. Right, right. It, it wasn't his final decision. He liked my writing, but it was a door that opened, an sure. opportunity. But at the time, my I was like touring with my book, and my journalism was going well, and all I had was a, a spec script that I had written a few years ago of a Frasier. And you're never supposed to give the script of the show that they work on because they know it oh, too well. And yeah. but I wouldn't have had time to write anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, there's a part of me that thought maybe it's meant to be. Maybe I wrote that for whatever. I and I read it and I thought I couldn't do better than this right now. I I don't. I think it's pretty good. But and I'm not steeped in sitcom. I don't. Well, I'm just gonna give it to him. And he was. He said, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff in here, but it's not. It's not. Not. It was a no. Right. And he was nice about it. Right, right. And that was the end this of that. This town is full of nice no's, by the way. Nice no's? Nice, that's the name of this, that's the name nice, of this podcast. Nice this, no's. Nice no's. I, I, I have fi <laughs> 15 years of, of those nice no conversations, those calls, you know, that they're saying, you know, we love it, but it, so what you're saying is no. Yes. It's basically, you're saying no. I had a nice no recently. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was, but I remember talking to Alec Mappa about it, or so, I don't know how it came up. It was at Outfest opening night, and I was like, "Do you ever have those meetings where, um, you know, it's basically a nice no?" And he goes, "Yes, at CBS and, T and, yeah. and NBC and ABC and every like he ran them. Oh, yeah. like I didn't even have to spell out the whole situation, and he had a list for me. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. But like, I I, really, I know you you, you you go into this long, long conversation. Oh, you know, well, but it was really nice. He said how much he loved the script and loved the stuff. Da, da, da. And the, but yeah, but it's just like you end up saying, you know, all this stuff about how nice they were when they told you no. Right. They were telling you no. They were telling you no. But but you, here's the thing. I mean, big, I, I big, say what, big fat no. Mean. He wasn't a dick. That's the takeaway. I know. I don't. Yeah. Um, I know. But yeah, you're. But what I'm wondering is like, do you ever think about like, did I when I was the hot new thing, did yeah. I make the most of it? Yeah, I mean, of course you do, because it's like you know, a lot of good stuff happened. But when you think back on it, it's like you don't realize how much. Um, I don't know if it's power, but I guess it is power in a way because, you know, doors will open if you push them. I think my 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 only, I guess, regret is not being more proactive about material I wanted to make. But the problem was it seemed like the stuff I wanted to make wasn't in sync with what, I don't know. You know, I guess I kept thinking and my agents kept saying that, 
you know, and I did. I got this big Disney movie, and that was great. And, you know, so that was great. But then I spent too much time trying to be maybe a gun for hire. Being, I'm going to do whatever they want me to do. Right, being yeah. seduced by money that you think you're going to make. Because, I, you know, I made some money on my second movie. It was yeah. a Disney thing, and that was great. That was the Lizzie McGuire movie. The Lizzie McGuire movie, which was, you know, a, a decent hit. And also people, that whole group of people still love that movie. But, but um, I wish I had spent more time developing my own material and pushing it harder with, with the contacts I had then. Yeah. Because... I didn't. There's stuff now I wish that I want to get made now that I wish I'd made then, you right. know? Because a lot of times they're like, we love you, what else you got? I know. And when you're so, it was like, that book almost killed me. What do you mean, what else you got? Exactly. I feel like, my <laughs> God, I just... I'm, you, I can... I, I barely... Can shit, let me go to the bathroom and I will shit something. I barely, and that's right. all that's going to come out of me today. I know. But you know what? That's what you got to do. It's you got to do and it, that's though. that's what I... I but need. there is that, like... What do you what do you mean? What else you got? I know, but I see. I, n- I never was like a prolific writer. I was more. Yeah. I guess I think of myself more as a producer director. I find material, develop it, and then direct it. As yeah. opposed to, I can I rewrite. I think I rewrite yeah. well, but I don't start. I have one script. I started from scratch, from fade yeah. in, and you know that was torture. Yeah, torture. It's not that fun writing. No. Um. You. Um. I remember asking you at the panel when I uh was like I got this people. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you all three of everyone that was there for the movie, JP and you and one of the producers, what the movie meant to you. And I loved the way you talked about the experience of Trick and and the struggle before, like the, if you didn't make it, it yeah. was going to be, you had to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it just It's just one of those things where, you know, it's been, I spent almost almost five years trying to get the thing made and and there were there were plenty of dark times where I didn't think it was going to happen and I was already 30 what I guess I was 33 34 so I felt like I was already kind of late to the game of trying to get a movie made I mean right you know you hear all the stories about Spielberg making his movie at 21 and you want yeah. to shoot yourself in the head by the time you're 30 it's like I have an idea at the end of this podcast we'll shut this off and we'll both decide how old we think the other can pass for and we'll go <laughs> we'll go as that IMDB is an evil thing because you can look up my age. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I, I'm proud of my age, but 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 um, but yeah, I was temping in a bank, and I had I had I had been doing a lot of development work in New York. I worked for Alan Pakula for a couple years in his office. Oh, he's just, badass. Yeah, I mean, it was just him and his his personal assistant, um, the VP, and me, and and it was during his Pelican Brief, um, consenting adult. Adults era. It was. Did you meet Julia Roberts? No, no. Okay, no. He went off to make the movies, and I, we were his New York office. But, okay. Um, and I worked for Sandal or Dolly Parton and and Sandy Gallon's company. Remember they, that company? They all had New York offices back then because okay. pub- publishing was in New York. Right. Um. But uh, I feel like I've gone off on a tangent again. I'm not sure what you. What you're your you're talking was. about the need to get trick made. But then the need to get trick made, right? So 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 um, it, you know, it, when you're a little bit younger, you. you and you don't worry about the future so much. You just want to get that movie made. Like you yeah. want to be one of those people. I remember looking at other film directors who had made their first movie, and I was like in awe of them because they were like different, a different species. It was right. like, oh my god, they actually made a movie. And I almost wanted to because I knew they'd been through something. They'd been through this thing, right. and they had a movie at the end of it. You know what I mean? And I hadn't done that yet. Just like, it's that thing when you're at a screening and they stride up. 
Yeah, it's it's. And they stride up to the thing, and 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 it's exciting. Well, to me, it's even more like just in a in a more casual setting, in a party where I'd look across the room and I'd see this person who I knew just made their first movie or even whatever movie, and it's like, oh my god, they made a movie! Like movies were yeah. these these amazing pieces of magic, which they are, they right. are, because they're so hard to get made. Even back then, they're always hard to get made, but now they're even harder to get made. Yeah. Um, so making trick was was amazing, and part of me feels like. You know, if I get hit by a bus, I used to think, it's like, okay, I was like relieved. Like, okay, now if I get hit by a bus, at least I got, I got, at least I got my movie made. Yeah. You know, at least I got my movie There's made. this one thing that people like that no one can take away from you. Right. It's, it, it, and it's, it does feel satisfying in a way. Yeah. But then, you know, after that, it's like, oh, right, I have to now make Now a, what? Now what? Now I have to make a career right. out of this somehow. And I'm not sure I was completely prepared for strategizing that well i think i just was trying to get that first movie made and then it's like oh god now what right you know right i gotta make more movies somehow and, and yeah, i remember you said something about talking to your therapist when you were trying to get it oh made. yeah i told him i was gonna kill myself <laughs> so yeah. if i don't get this i said i literally couldn't see past what I, I i couldn't see what i was gonna do if i couldn't if i couldn't get the movie made there just was no way i could exist i mean literally i didn't i literally was like a like i just saw a wall where there was nothing after that if I didn't get the movie made. Right. I didn't know how I would exist, you know. Right. And th- there's something to say about that kind of passion, you know. Right, because it moves mountains. Cause it that's, does. It, it has to. Right. Uh, and then you did the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yes. Now, I interviewed Hilary Duff, I think it was after that, for Movie Line Magazine. Yeah. Or Hollywood Life. And then right around that same time, I interviewed Lohan. So I felt like I had oh, a little wow. bit of a... Wow, you got them both at there. I got a, I got them both. And Duff was so much nicer, so oh, much yeah. more... She's a sweetheart. And the mother was cool. And I'm like, this girl's going to be okay. Yeah. I, like, I, felt like, I felt like this girl's going to be okay. And Lohan, even then, it was around the time of Confessions of a Drama Queen. She just got a new car and she was driving. And, and I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to end well. That's and a, so I'm Team Duff. Yeah. Well... I've never met Lindsay Lohan, but yeah. you know, <clears throat> I've worked with both Duff sisters, actually Haley and Hillary. But Hillary was a sweetheart. She was great. She was a, a professional at that point. I mean, she'd been doing her show for three years, and she was totally great. And you know, making the Lizzie McGuire movie was a little bit of a weird sidestep tangent, but it was a to me it was a big deal in a different way because it was a big studio movie. I mean, big for me, it was a seventeen million dollar budget and. It was Disney. I made a movie with a Disney logo on the front of it, which was amazing to me. And, you know, my first instinct was like, oh, God, I'm selling my soul to the devil now. Here we go. You know, but it was it was an amazing experience in a different but, way. And you got what what you hope you get out of making a movie like Trick, yeah. which is other opportunities. Yeah. yeah. And people saw the talent yeah. and the door opened and you yeah. got the job. That's like, whew, Yeah, that right? was nice. It was nice. And I think, I think, it was a little odd, I think, for Disney to hire the gay director who'd just done this gay movie, and I think there was a, a little bit of homophobia in the sort of, um, not in the Hillary Duff camp, but in the producerial side of the Lizzie McGuire movie, I mean show, TV show that it was based on, because right. they wanted one of their TV directors to do it, and Disney smartly wanted someone sort of more objective to do it, you know? Um, and they said they hired me because I came in with, I was the most passionate about making the movie. And I remember my agent said, oh, you got to, you know, this movie, the Lizzie McGuire movie is looking for a director. I was like, what the, what the hell is a Lizzie McGuire? Right. I hadn't even, again, maybe my objectivity in the same way with Tori, I'd never seen the show. I'd never seen Lizzie McGuire. I kind of came in with a more Right. You could look at it. You pitch. could just see what was on the page. Right. And, yeah. and let's make this thing, because I kind of, this thing has to stand on its own legs. It can't 
just be an offshoot of the TV series. It has to exist as a movie on its own. Yeah. You know? And Rome is one of my favorite cities in the world. Oh my god. What was it like to make a movie there? It was amazing. It was amazing. And how much of it was it all there or did yeah. you shoot some here? No, well, all the exteriors were Rome. All yeah. the interiors we built in, in, in Vancouver. Okay. But uh you know, I shot the movie two two three five, like wide wide screen, which is right. a little weird for a teen movie, but right. the DP that I that I well I didn't find actually Disney recommended I meet with him and I loved him and we um Conspiratorially thought, okay, we're gonna shoot this movie widescreen. I don't care what they. They didn't. They didn't push back. You'd think they would have. That like, that feels like a really big thing to try to slip by. But them. I mean, they didn't seem to mind that we weren't. Right. You'd think that would be. Oh no, no, no. That, that's that's weird. We'll do it yeah. the regular one Who do you think you are, Cooper? Right, right, right. Yeah. But I'm proud of the movie. It looks beautiful, and um, you know, I tried to class the whole thing up as much as possible. We had this really beautiful orchestral score. I like had a whole a real orchestra recorded and. That was really fun to sit in on my first, you know, scoring session with a composer and um, on the Paramount lot. We've recorded that. And uh, um, and I'm also proud I fought for the, you know, I'm a sound, avid soundtrack movie collector. Yeah. And I thought, you know, finally I have an orchestral score to my, you know, second movie. Because Trick had a very simple piano score. They really was right. no orchestra. And uh, I remember in the, in the record, in the, in the, when we had a meeting about the soundtrack, there wasn't going to be any score on the soundtrack, of course. This is going to be, so pop, be songs. pop songs. And the pop songs were great. I actually had a big part in picking a lot of them. But uh, I remember it was almost like one of those moments in a movie where everyone got up and I said, wait a minute. And everyone sat back down. I said, I really would love to do um, a suite, you know, a, a suite from the score of the movie because right. it's really pretty. The score is beautiful. It's like a Merchant Ivory score. Like It's right. beautiful. And they were like, oh, Okay. And they, again, they were surprisingly accommodating. And, you know, I made my composer a lot of money because that album went platinum. That's amazing. Yeah. So I didn't get a red cent off of it, but he made a lot of money. So, but you, you, you they went for it. Yeah. And they did so it. So now I have a, I, I, you know, it's my only soundtrack album with a score. I, and we can download it. It's yeah. available. It's out there now. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. How gorgeous were the Italian extras? Oh, my God. Extras. Or like anybody, would, just anybody. Were you just was it hard to focus at times? Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, we're my, writing in a new character this, today. This, this is Fabrizio, and he's gonna be he's gonna deliver a pizza, and then he's gonna um, blow me. Uh, they, not they, on camera. But. I'm telling you, I wish I had this. I wish I had this ready to show you. There, there, there was a crew member. He was a grip, an Italian oh, grip. Oh shit! Oh my god! You don't know these people show up to lug heavy things around. All day, like lugging dolly track around, dressed like you or I. Not I mean you or I. Mean, never even dressed this way. Dressed like like Armani and right, like going like he's going to a club. I mean, he literally yeah. was like this muscular built, model handsome, like thick, sexy guy with his hair gelled and his tight pants and his Fuck. tight shirt. And I told <laughs> I told my assistant, I gave him my camera. I said, "Listen, I want you to take pictures of him, no matter what he's doing." And just. <laughs> <laughs> my sister was gay. I said, I need photographic evidence of this. Yes. What? Do, how do we see it? So there's it? like 24 pictures. I have like pictures of, of this handsome love. Can we put one on my website oh, for yeah, this I'll, podcast? I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out. I love it. I love having a little, um, like an Easter egg thing of like, then you have totally. to go look at the Facebook totally. page. Yeah, no. Sometimes those those people on a set that can literally drive you to distraction. They are distracting. In fact, I jokingly say anytime I start, I'm like, I want an unattractive crew. Because I do not need to be distracted. I need to focus. I do not need to have crushes on my crew. I yeah. need to just focus. So please, from now on, 
Now, there's pictures on IMDb of you directing, and I love those shots. You never do the cliche one where you hold your arms up like that, but you always look like you're like making magic. Yeah, that's good. And you're, you're talking to James that. Brolin. Right. You're talking to Stamos. You're explaining some shit to right. John Stamos. Right, right. Now, that was for Wedding Wars, right? That's for Wedding Wars. Another movie that's... Uh, that was kind of ahead of its time in terms of it, marriage equality. It was. It was 2006, and it was a TV movie for A&E, and it was a really clever well-written comedy. It was really a rom-com style, uh, you know, kind of a spoonful of sugar. It had a political agenda, obviously. It was about gay marriage and it was for gay marriage. And um, James Brolin plays the conservative governor who's against gay marriage. And, and John Stamos plays a gay wedding planner who's planning his straight brother's wedding, but the straight brother is writing the conservative speeches for the governor against gay marriage. Right. So John Stamos goes on strike and uh, it was actually written originally to be a big, big, big feature. So it was supposed to be. I had to. I had to write it, simplified yeah. a bit because there were like shots of when the when the gays go on strike, like Broadway lights going da- dark yeah. and theaters going dark and huge things. There's no way we could ever shoot. So, um, no, I'm proud of that movie. It's uh, it's a sweet, funny, um, you know, a little bit. You know, it was 2006. So it was before Prop Eight, before all that stuff, and. Uh, you know, people saw it. I don't think enough people saw it. I don't know why. TV movies fall into this abyss sometimes where they just simply don't play them again because I think it's expensive for them to play them again for some reason. Right. You know, but it's on DVD. You can rent it on Netflix. Uh, I would love to do a screening of that, you know, maybe on its 10-year anniversary because that's in two years. Um, but it's surprising we've moved as fast as we have with, with gay marriage because even at the time... I remember doing interviews for that, and everyone, Craig Zayden and Neil Maron produced it, and even in their interviews, they were saying, I don't think we're going to see this change in my lifetime, they were saying. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's kind of fascinating how fast we That's moved. amazing. Yeah. Now, John Stamos is someone who's never had an ugly day in his life. No. He didn't have that awkward phase ever, ever, ever. No. And I met him once... Um, his wife at the time, Rebecca Romaine, was someone I'd interviewed a few times, and she was a fan of my novel, Misadventures in the oh, 213. Sweet. And John liked it too. Hmm. And they had a bet going that the cover, I don't know if you remember the cover, yes, it's with, with the, the, with the, with the eye, eye pedal. Yeah. I think John was convinced it was me in drag. <laughs> they had a bet going, whatever. And I did remember me seeing them both at this party, and I think John was, and I, I said, I like your pants to John Stamos. And he goes, You can have them, let's trade. And he's, he was drunk, and I didn't do it. You I really regret not trading pants with That's John Stamos. That's you regret. know why I didn't do it? This is a, the remember when you're hot and you had opportunities for <laughs> stuff when you were the, when you were that fresh first person. I thought that I wouldn't fit into them. That would be embarrassing. I thought I would go to put them on and like because I'm thicker in the thighs and like I I felt like. There's no way is, I'm gonna. He is a lean thing. Yeah, he's a lean guy. I would guy. not fit into those pants. You know, it's amazing these movie stars when you when you when you look when you next to them, they're tiny people. They're tiny people. They're tiny, and they look big on camera. Yeah, but they look you know proportionate. Yeah, but you know he's a, he's a lean you yeah. know thing. He's they're all they're all. I call it people. actress skinny. Yeah, they're all they're all yeah. You know, small. like I watch Masters of Sex with Lizzie Kaplan, and I I'm like, her. she went out and got actress skinny. Come hell or fucking high yeah. water. Yeah, she got skinnier. Yeah. yeah. No, but John was a sweetheart. John, you know, John, it's funny. John, I've always had, it seems like I've always had straight guys playing gay in my, well, my two gay movies. But, um, and it's always the kiss that gets them a little nervous. It's right. funny. He was totally great about, about Wedding Wars. And in the script, he had to kiss Sean Marr. Uh, and 
and again, John was totally great, but I remember early on, he kind of kind of dropped into conversation, well, maybe, you know, maybe it could be a hug, and, you know, I'm like, mm. <laughs> mm, hey, record scratch. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> and so I ended up actually writing in two more kisses. Because <laughs> you're like, one of them's got to... But he, but he didn't notice, because one was, one was the, he kisses Sean quickly yeah. on the lips in the beginning at the pool, just to establish that they're boyfriends. There's another scene where he kisses Sean on the forehead, and then there's the big kiss at the end. Right. And it was the big kiss at the end that only existed when, when right. John brought up this, well, maybe it could be a hug. I'm like, well, we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it wasn't an issue ultimately, but it's just funny. There's a little bit of, a little bit of gay panic. In, in, in but the- I feel like it's going away. I feel like, yeah. I feel like actors nowadays wouldn't, even if they felt it, I don't think they would feel as comfortable talking about it in the same way. No. I don't think... No. I think we've gotten past it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I liked best about when Normal Heart came out this year was there wasn't a lot of talk about who was gay and who was straight. Right. The actors. There was enough of them that we were like, okay. You're right. These are the right people. We're fine. There wasn't a lot of, well, why didn't they... Nah, 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 nah. There wasn't. And it's because... I think it's because we have some. Yeah. We've got Matt Bomer. We've got Jim Parsons. We're fine. You know? And they're doing fine. It's that thing of like, yeah, I think we've moved on a little I, bit. You're actually I right. I didn't, that's actually a good point. I, I enjoyed Normal Heart. I thought it. I did too. I, I thought, thought it was really it good. It was really good. Yeah. I had some issues with the beginning of it, but it, I mean, how it, the setup seemed odd somehow in some of the time. Plus, I'm a 70s and 80s. Like, I love that stuff. I want those shorts that I, I remember. I want the haircuts the that I remember. The details were a little bit, yeah. little bit not quite on, on Mark, but... Yeah. Um, but once the once that wonderful Larry Kramer script and dialogue kicks in, it, and the yeah. performances were so strong, it just was heartbreaking at the end. And play, I thought it worked well. Right. Have you experienced this feeling of like, I think as gay writers and directors, we think that our skill set should just transfer. Like, oh, if somebody can be funny, if they can write a funny line for this person, then right. they can write funny lines. Right, right. But there really is a ghettoization. And for a long time, I kind of bristled against it. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. But these are the stories that I know and tell or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, like, for example, when you went in for the Lizzie McGuire thing. Right. Um, this guy clearly can do a romantic comedy. Which, which is what it's about. Which is what the Lizzie McGuire movie really was. It was, yes. Ultimately, it was a romantic comedy between these two kids who had never quite kissed before. Because it right. was the two characters who had this burning sort of, you know, you know high school, junior high school, right. um, you know, infatuation with each other. So it really was a romantic comedy. And I think I, 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 know, I think I got the job because I just cared the most. And, and I, I did something I'd never done before, which I, I left them five pages of notes. And I'd never left, it seems like an obvious thing, but I'd never left them, anyone notes before in a meeting. And it kind of dawned on me, like, what the hell am I going to do with these notes to someone's movie I don't get anyway? Right. Why not give them notes? Because part of me is like, well, I'm not going to give them my ideas. They're just going to take them and give them to somebody else, right? Well, who the hell cares? You have to take the risk, I think. Right. It's like, I think you have to take the shot. One thing I've learned in the last few years from people that... that have the power sometimes to say yes or whatever is they like when people have ideas when you go in and you have ideas I think they spark yeah um, so I just have to get some into some of those rooms and with my ideas yeah but uh, I think that's great that you did that yeah I love that Carol Burnett didn't like ideas I met her once <laughs> really oh my god this is amazing I what I was, why doesn't she like ideas well I, what was it for I oh was, my god I was meeting on once upon a mattress that was on TV 
Yes. I don't know, how were 12 years ago? Right? I don't remember that. I, you know, I was the minstrel in high school. I'm surprised oh, I didn't get a call. Um, I really tore that I, up. Had I gotten the job, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would have called you. Yeah, I had green tights and a belt. Anyways. It, it, was, it was a little bit of a weird thing. Because when reading the script to Once Upon a Mattress, there's a little weirdness at the end of the story. It's not like one of the best... Story. I mean, not one of the best well-remembered right. Broadway. Shows. It's not West Side Story. No, it's got it's got some issues in it. Right. And I I dared to sort of suggest a, sh- a an actual a shift in the ending, and I'm completely forgetting what the hell it was. It had something to do with how the P is. I don't know what the hell. And I remember, <laughs> Carol Burnett kind of looking at me like, oh, hmm. Like literally, like this isn't this isn't going to work. Yeah. But I'd already screwed it up in the elevator on the way up because it was just a horrible, horrible meeting. Actually, Me- meeting one of your, I, you know, one of your idols and yeah. um, having it be just awkward. But in trick, Aaron Hamilton. Yes. Did I tell her the, daughter? Tell you the told story? the story at the screening. Oh, I did tell the story. She Aaron is... Hamilton recorded Dreamweaver. Yeah, which is um, one of the songs yeah. that you hear in the movie. And I had no idea that Carol Burnett had issues with that daughter i knew she had some issues anyway I, I, trying to make small talk like an idiot i said oh you know your daughter aaron ha- aaron hamilton recorded a song for my first movie dreamweaver it was really great and we're in an elevator i'm inches away from her and it's just like literally like i hadn't said anything like she just stared was staring forward and did not respond i was like oh oh god <laughs> i'm just i'm just i was just talking about this it was so awkward it was like literally like really you can't even go I was just talking about this with Glenn Gaylord, wow. who had seen Buyer and Seller. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I did. But that thing of the non-famous people do around famous people to try to not even get anything from them, but just try to have a good experience. And the work that we do in our heads around it, that, that you know, and you tried so hard and you made a connection and you're going to, you got up the courage to say something and then... But this is a little uh, different. This is even a little, even, I understand if you're just like in public walking up right. to a celebrity. That, 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 but we were... On our way to a business meeting together, right. on a project that I was being so there was a little bit of, uh, you know, you'd think there'd be some polite. You bus- never know when they're going to shit on you for no I reason. No, and it was like, oh boy, okay, well, okay, <laughs> this isn't going to someday. Work out. I'll tell this on a podcast. <laughs> this ain't going to work out, is it? I know. Fuck. Yeah. All right. So anyway, whatever. What has your experience been like with agents? Because I told my, I think I have this story in my head that agents don't like me. <laughs> agents don't get me and I feel like it's a thing that I believe and I probably should stop believing it if I want to keep going you know, but that's been my experience and I sort of feel like when I create something good or big or something that draw that somebody goes in other words I have to do something that'll bring them to me of course me going to them doesn't work isn't working and yeah. nothing's more soul-crushing than those meetings that somebody sort of set up for you yes. with their so and you go in there and you try to Talk about your right. work and what you do, and, and they don't and give like, a fuck. They don't give a fuck. No. And it's so... Cr- I can't do another one of those meetings. No, it is so crushing. Um, agents are... You know, it's a mixed bag. You know, I, I, I lucked out initially because when I, when I got Trick Made, my producer... I got it made because my friend Andy Fleming, who's a director, was represented at UTA. I asked him to help me. Uh, finally, because I got the balls up to actually ask for help, he sent it to Howard Cohen at UTA. Right. Howard's partner, Eric Darbeloff, put up the money. So he, so, so I ended up getting a producer and an agent 
out of the same deal, like automatically. Well, I mean, Howard didn't become my agent until the movie turned out well, so he right. was not committing to me till it was. Till it was <laughs> I mean, we're hip. Well, we're gonna just like we're, just, you're, 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 okay. We'll wait to see how this. You know, he didn't say right. that, but I could. You know, I, I kept saying to Eric, "So is Howard gonna represent me?" He goes, "Yeah, well, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just hang on there." You know, um, so Howard was great because he got me, and Howard came from development, and Howard really wasn't an agenty agent. He was right. more of a. I could actually talk about story with him, right? You know, because he came from development and understood story development. But then Howard left the the agenting business, and he and Eric started Roadside Attractions, which is their distribution company. And I, you know, got uh, moved over to two agents who were great, but they weren't. I don't know. I felt like they they had like their bigger, bigger clients, and and some of them were sort of in the same arena as me. Like, you know, that if I was going to do a rom-com, you know, Adam Shankman would get the first. So I felt like I always got sloppy second, third, fourths, you know. Right. And never quite got taken care of. And plus, for some reason, the TV the TV side of UTA at the time wasn't particularly effective, and it was very hard. So, so yeah. So, so I you know, I loved Howard. My first agent was right. great because he cared. And then... Then I don't know. It's not that my other agents didn't care. It's just that it just didn't seem like I connected in a way with them right. as effectively. It's weird because I, the people that I know that don't have agents are really frustrated, and then the people that I know that have them are like, yeah. not that crazy. <laughs> yeah. When you ask about it, they're like, "Well, I don't know." So I guess it's just a fact of life. Anyways, um, I also wanted to ask you about theater. You you direct some yeah. really amazing theater. Which do you prefer, theater or film? Or is there if you could. Only do one for the rest of your life, and it all all things being equal, pay and everything else. Or is it oh, the balance that you like? That's a hard question. I guess I kind of like the balance. I mean, although I think ultimately theater is more fun because it's more of a sense of family, and you have more time, and there's somehow a little bit less pressure, and you know, and it's fun to see the show live and 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 be able to work on it every night. You can always fix shit when it's wrong. You know, ultimately, you know. Um, so I probably like theater more, the process-wise. I, I think film, though, what, what's heartbreaking about theater is it simply evaporates then. Right. And then it just doesn't exist. And then you have a couple of fading flyers and, you know, old reviews, you know, to in your scrapbook where at least a movie, you know, can have a 15-year anniversary and has right. a DVD and can, you know, be played again and exists, you know. So um, there's, it's a give and take. I'm, I'm actually focusing more on theater right now because it just seems like there's more theater going on film has just been so tough lately um to get things going so i'm i'm uh uh directing a, a musical and and i'm going to be uh um i, I want to keep pushing the theater because I, I i miss it i used to i've still done more theater than film anyway what's the musical it's it's uh, it's called primal scream and it's it's David Foster wrote all the music. It's, oh wow! Yeah, it's kind of this cool thing. They wrote it a while ago, and and they they're putting it up at Pepperdine for one night. Fantastic! Yeah, and it's when is it? October seventeenth. Can people come? Yeah, yeah. If you I want to come to that. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's cool. I like it. It's cool. I have not directed as many things as you have, but I have noticed in like my short films and stuff. I like casting. I like when actors come out of nowhere and walk I know, in. I know. Because some people are like, oh, just get the friends that you know or whatever. I find like that thing where they just come in and you've never met them is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes somebody's just the guy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. And it's really like, and yeah. I feel bad for the other actors because I think they walk out of there thinking, oh, if I had just said this or done that. And I'm like, no, that was the guy. 
I know. And have you had that experience? Yeah, yes and no. Casting, I, I find casting very scary because it's, it's, I want it to be that. I want the guy to walk in the room. Right. But then you've got, especially on some of these um, recent TV movies I've been doing where it's not about whether it's the guy. It's, it's a, about, is it a name? Exactly. It's like, who does Lifetime think will sell this right. show? You know, and that's where my, my theater artist in me just, it's just, I get a knot in my stomach because I, I have to fight that instinct to just, you know, fight that and go, what are you talking about? That person's right. not even remotely right for this. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, if you have, if you, if you can cast your, if you can cast whatever you're casting completely free of any, um, any of those considerations, considerations, yeah, yeah casting can be amazing. Have you ever fallen in love with one of your actors? <laughs> I have. I, I get crushes on them. Oh yeah. When I'm working and also when I'm editing and like watching them and like, I, yeah, I have. Oh yeah. I think I had a crush on JP. I mean, yeah. I totally had a crush on him. For sure. In fact, JP said... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say these. Other JP said that when I would go over to direct him, I would always put my hand on his stomach. <laughs> that I'd like walk he's over, like a lucky Buddha. That I'd walk over, but you know, he had this. Like, he had amazing, amazing washboard abs. So I just come over and kind of put my hand on him. <laughs> and he said I did that all the time. I'm like, oh my god, was I being like? I didn't mean to. Creepy, I, whatever. Creepy. I, I think I was. I just came over, but I, just, I probably instinctively just wanted to. Who knows? Yeah, um, that you would put your hand on your stomach. You know what? You were you have a process, and he needs to fucking yeah. just roll with it. But I have never, you know, I have never. I, it scares me too much. I mean, I really when I when I'm directing something, I I kind of put go into this professional mode in my brain where I would never want to be considered someone that would have ever done anything inappropriate with anybody right. because you hear those old casting couch catch casting couch stories from way back when. It's like I don't know how that had. It's like so right. sleazy to me and. And there, yeah, there, it still goes on. It and just stuff. It's a little creepy. It doesn't um, Miss Coco Peru, yeah. I first saw her in Trick and then ended up falling in love with her and seeing her on stage and getting to know her a little. You knew her quite a while before Trick happened, right? I was a groupie for a really long time. My ex... I met Coco through my ex, Matt Berman, who was doing her lights at... Uh, um, well, he actually, when I met Clint, Clinton Loop, he was doing two shows in New York City. He was doing one at Don't Tell Mom. No, one at Rose's... Turn right. Rose's turn and one at eighty eights, right? Okay. <clears throat> and my my then boyfriend was doing the lights for all the cabaret performers, so he would weed out all the bad performers and say, just you know, come see, come see Coco. So of course I came see Coco. I went to see Coco and 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 fell in love. I'm like, oh my god, this is like the funniest person I've ever seen. And this would have been mid nineties. This would have been no. This would have been yeah, like 92, 91, okay. 92. And then at the time, I wrote a screenplay and I wrote her into it, and I did. Uh, a, a, a musical play that I co-wrote called Blood Orgy of the Carnival Queens. Right, love it. And CD put Coco in it. Yeah. So I've always tried to wedge Coco into almost everything. So when Trick came around, of course, I had to wedge her into, into Trick. And yeah, so I've just been a fan forever. She's incredible in Trick. And I, I brought a date to the screening, uh, a guy named Carlos from um, El Salvador, who didn't know Trick and didn't know Coco or anything like that. He loved the movie. He went home and watched and ordered it up online and watched it again. And he was quoting, it burns. And I'm like, yeah, that's a kind of iconic line. Like people kind of remember that. And he won't even see me twice a week. And he saw your movie. So um, it really like, it was fun to see like this new thing through somebody's yeah. eyes. And, and also yeah. him discovering that Coco and, and, and how amazing how she old is. is. How old is this guy? Um, 30s or 40-ish. I don't even know. We're not that... <laughs> 
You know, this isn't one 30, for the ages. 40, I, I get, no, my I'm afraid gets, to ask. I might want the answer. I guess I, I mean, I remember briefly seeing him that night because there were so many people, but I remember thinking he was younger, which I was, my point was, I, 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 I think he's probably 30s, but he's a dentist. He's got his own responsibilities. Yeah. I've realized that I think at this point in my life, if I'm going to have a relationship, it's probably not going to be, um, a creative person because I used to think I used to have that fantasy of like the right. creative genius couple and right. I'll be in one room writing and he's going to be painting in the other oh honey you painted me that is so sweet <laughs> will you read this let's see how we do it's and about you yeah I no I used to have the fantasy and now I'm like I don't want to show Biz Struggler I've got that covered thank you I, I, I agree it's interesting I really I, I met a guy recently on like OkCupid okay who just moved to town and he was pursuing singing and he's a good singer right and he was like i think i'm gonna go to this open mic night and i could just i could just feel myself i i i don't have it i don't have the um i he needs to believe yeah. and i'm not a yeah. I, and i like going to my friend's shows and i love right. supporting my creative people but i right. but the idea of like i don't believe Right. For him, right. not based on anything, not oh, based yeah. on talent. It's just too hard. I know. So I've shifted. I totally my point. agree. I totally agree. I mean, I'm I'm open to whatever, but I mean, you know, my 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 long term ex, you know, was a recruiting worked in recruiting was not in you know entertainment at all, and I liked that. There I was think something it's good. refreshing about it. You know, because you spend all your whole day talking to all your friends and living in this you know fucked up industry, right? To go home to it too just is can be exhausting, and again if it's again if it's a performer that can be that can be doubly complicated because if yeah. they're not someone you really think is amazing, yeah, that's kind of hard <laughs> yeah, to be no, with somebody that you're not really believing is. Yeah, great, it's tricky, you know. But uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. What's your favorite part of directing? I think. Honestly, favorite part of directing, oh man, I would say once I'm in the editing room and once we start putting score up against the images. The, adding the music? Yeah. I find that, I haven't done a lot of it, but I find with music, you have a sense of kind of what you want, yeah. but it's really hard to describe it. And Completely. And if the composer goes off in the wrong direction, you're like... You try to describe. I just think it's one of the hardest things to to communicate because you you'll know it when you hear it. Yeah. But you don't always know how to describe it up front, and sometimes their instincts are better, and you're like, yes, uh, totally. I, it's I mean, hard to communicate about it. I, is my point. I tend to maybe because my movies have been all in a similar arena. They've all been basically romantic comedies to some extent or another. So, and I I tend to always gravitate toward melodic orchestral scores i mean i right. want i want i want a theme i can hum yeah you know i don't want you know now if, if i was directing thrillers if i was directing something else that would be a different thing right but uh um so i tell that right and i've worked with i don't know almost i don't think i've worked with the same composer twice yet which is frustrating each project has just had different budgetary constraints so people right. can't do things because they're too little for them whatever right um but uh, yeah, I think I've, I've just I've always said just I want a melody, <laughs> yeah, and I want to be able to hum this, and I, I like themes for each. You know, it's very old school. Yeah, and you love when that music starts coming in and you yes. start putting it on the images. Yes, you, you know, my the first Christmas movie I did, Holiday Engagement. Um, 
uh, Coco actually hooked me up with her, uh, a composer named Carrie Muzzy, who had been doing a lot of composing of his just just albums, right. know, instrumental albums he puts on on uh, iTunes and makes a decent living, I think, just composing. And he he just wrote such a lovely score for this, you know, my Hallmark movie. I mean, if you just turn the dialogue down and listen to his beautiful score, it's just it's great. It's just really beautiful. What's your favorite soundtrack of a movie that isn't your movie? Mine is Cinema Paradiso. Somewhere in time, and you have a mouse pad of it. Jim literally flipped up a mouse pad that was sitting right here on the table. Like, he didn't have to go far. It's somewhere in time. That's very... Is it Ennio Morricone? No, it's no. Uh, John Barry. John Barry, who John did Barry. Body Heat, which is the did, movie I've did seen King Kong and did more than Africa. any other. Did you have this made? No, no I, you, I, I... Is it an Etsy thing or something? Mine, a friend of mine uh, found it somehow and sent it to me because he knew I loved... I loved uh, Actually, I think Eric Darbeloff. I love it. Too. Yeah. But that, that John Barry score from yeah. Summer in Time is just just beautiful. What movie have you seen more than any other movie? Oh, my God. Probably The Exorcist. Really? Yeah. I saw it for the first time on the big screen not that long ago. Really? Four or five years ago. I missed the first when it was in theaters, and then I never saw it on DVD and stuff like that. Well, you're a little younger than me. I mean, I actually saw it. My father took, took me and my sister to see it. Holy shit. Mark... It was Easter Sunday, 1974. <laughs> I think that explains a lot. I think it really... And we were young. Yeah. And it and it, that's the movie that made me want to make movies. Yeah. It's really, it is. And it's it's odd I make romantic comedies and not horror films because I love horror films. But I don't know if I... I don't know. I mean, never say never. I'd lo- I guess part of me would love to make a horror film. Yeah. But you have to live in that place for so long. Yeah. I well, love 90 minutes. I love watching a movie. Yeah. But, but, you know, I... That's what I love about comedies is I, it's fun to make people laugh. Yeah. But is it fun to figure out how to murder somebody? In is a it fun for horrible, nine months or a year right, or to, however to long? To figure out how to scare people yeah. in this horrible way? I mean, it's, sure, it's fun for some people. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure it'd be fun for me. I was, with The Exorcist, I didn't know the story. I mean, I knew it was a possessed girl, but I, I was really, um, who plays the mother? Ellen, Ellen Burstyn. Burstyn. I like that she wasn't like a suburban mom she was like this fucked up actress neurotic yeah. like i kind of like yeah. that part of the story surprised me i thought it would yeah. be like all american sweet perfect yeah. situation demon girl no it's kind of like this mom who is well supposedly william peter blatty based yeah. it on um shirley mcclain oh really he, he based that role the i bet i bet some people have was, had they were friends yeah i bet some people have had awkward conversations in elevators with yeah. her yeah you hear i hear Shirley was supposed to do the role, actually, but something she was she had just yeah. done something called the possession of Joel Delaney or something, and didn't feel like she should do another. Uh, who knows? This is all rumor, but that's I think Ellen Burstyn looks a little bit like Shirley MacLaine in the yeah. movie with her short red hair. I love it. Yeah. Now, um, we both had our ups and downs through this thing. What's gotten you through your tougher times? Um. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. You know, this business has been so up and down. You know, in a lot of ways I feel lucky. In a lot of ways I feel frustrated. Um, I don't know what gets me through. It's like, you know, I just want to be proud of my work. And I part of me thinks, you know, how many movies do you get to make in a lifetime? You know, not that many. So, um, you know... That's a hard question. What gets me through? You know, you're assuming I'm getting through. I <laughs> know <laughs> you seem to be, but um, I, no, I get it. I remember talking to you at Jeffrey Schwartz's pool, birthday party in Palm Springs. Remember when he rented yeah. that little place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we both kind of been through the ringer, and we were both yeah. at this place. Yeah. And I just remember looking in your eyes and going, "Yeah, I get it. I know that. I know that." 
Yeah. And, um, it's hard. I don't know. You know, there's like, there's like a, a couple of movies I feel like I, I have to get made. Yeah. But then I have to realize what if I don't, what if I don't, you know, am I going to go to my therapist and say I'm going to kill myself like I right. did, you know, 20 years ago? I hope not, you know, but, but when you're 20 years older, it's like the stakes are different. Right. You know, you know, it's not, I don't have a lot of time to screw around and make mistakes <clears throat> and be a starving artist my whole life. Right. But maybe that's, but, the, maybe, but then, then I think, well, God, is that what's, is that, is that what is killing the project? Cause I don't have the same. Cause you're not that passionate. I'm not right. Finding that same passion because I'm too afraid. So it's a weird, it's a constant discussion in my head. Right. Constant. Oh, like, am I being proactive enough or am I being too afraid? And definitely I'm more afraid now than I was. Yeah. Carol I mean, Burnett shuts you down on an elevator. Yeah, you mean, know, but I mean, I mean that metaphorically. When yeah. you get enough of like, you know what's, what's killer? It's the no's that you think are maybes and end up being no's or you think are yeses. Like, we can take a hint when somebody, but it's when somebody, it's the nice nose that are fucking killing. That's yeah. what kind of, I think it does a number on you. Yeah, it does. And you have to, you know, I started watching a lot of documentaries about famous people, and it seems like every single creative person has the same roller coaster ride. It's exactly yeah. the same, where there's some kind of peak, and then there's like, completely losing everything. Right. And then either they die either they die in the gutter or they manage to sort of, you know, come out of it somehow in right. some way, you know. <clears throat> so how do I get through it? I don't know. You know, I think I'm ultimately optimistic but filled with more fear than I wish I had. I get it. You know? I get it. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you get these other movies made because well, you're terrific you, at what you do. Thank you for having me here in your wonderful place with all your fun stuff. You have a whole bunch of eight tracks. A lot do you of listen them. to them? I do. I do. do you, I love in an eight track where a song will just cut off in the middle and go. What's the What's the eight track that you play the most or you would put in right um, now? I was going to put in the soundtrack to Moment by Moment, which is right there. Oh, Jesus Christ. John Travolta and, and um, <laughs> yeah. Lily Tomlin. That's it's amazing. It's a, a great soundtrack album. And I have almost every single KTEL album oh, from every year. What was your... I remember like Get Up and Boogie or um, well, uh, Fly Robin Fly. Music Machine. I had Music Machine. Music I have Machine. this. I used it's, to have this. It's a great album. Okay. Program one. I have to take off my glasses to read it. That's how small. Okay. Oh, I... I just want to be your everything. It's love it. The best, best. Keep it coming, love. Don't give up on us, David Soul. Oh, fuck. I want this inside me. <laughs> I know every one of these songs. I know every one of them. You know what? It's if, the you know what game we could play after this is done? You could say the artist, and I can probably guess what All song right. is on there. All right. Anyway, I love the 70s music. I love it. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm going to do a little housekeeping before we wipe up. If you have an email you want to send me, my email address is dennisanyonepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave a little tip in the tip jar, um, I have one now on my Dennis Anyone Facebook page. And uh, it just helps me cover the cost of web hosting because I'm using more memory now, Jim. I have to, oh. I have to, there's so much good content. That's good. People like you are so fascinating. Uh, like me on Facebook, Dennis Anyone, and follow me on Twitter, Hensley Dennis on Twitter. And um, I love reviews on iTunes, if you could do that. And if you want to get my newsletter, go to DennisHensley.com and there's a tab you push at the top that says newsletter. And I send it out every month and it has just crap in it and stuff I'm up to and things like that. And, um... 
I think that's it. I want to go peruse your eight tracks. I want to listen <laughs> You're to welcome this. To. Like it's the robot. They doing, all uh, work. All my eight tracks work, and almost all my players work. I think the, the how order, many players do you have? I've got I've got a bunch of them. There's a bunch in the basement. That's amazing. Yeah, I've I got, remember the one that was like dynamite. Oh, you have it. Yeah. Oh my god. I have I have four of them. I have a yellow one. I have a blue one, and they're wrapped up. I only have the red one out. Oh fuck. Oh yeah. How many guys come over here to fool around and just end up like, <laughs> end up just like going, uh, can we just listen to eight tracks? Yeah, no. Not, no, not that no, doesn't no, happen no, that no, much. No, no, no. All right. I have a jukebox in my house that lights up, but I've got to get it fixed. And I found a place that can fix it. But I also feel so broke that I can't afford to I fix know, it. I know. I know. But I, I think wanna, you're I wanna, inspiring me. I want to fix the orb, but it's like, can I justify spending, yes. you know, probably $200 fixing I'll enable it. you if you enable me. Well, I know. I have a guy too. I found a guy at a flea market who fixes this old for stuff. A-Tracks. Yeah. yeah, I have to schlep my jukebox down to like Carson. That's heavy. I know, but I have all the forty fives. I want it. It lights up. It's beautiful. All it. right. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Jim, for being here. Thank and you. Um, we'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone. <laughs>